Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue as we continue to set the stage for Penn State's Big Ten opener Saturday, 11 a.m. local time out in Champaign, Illinois, 12 p.m. for us here in Happy Valley. Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan will be representing Lions247.com in the press box at Memorial Stadium. They'll have all the action covered out there for us, and you'll hear from Daniel Gallon in just a moment. We are actually fresh out of Beaver Stadium, had our weekly press conference with James Franklin, a bunch of coverage on Lions247.com from that we had morning conversations here with wide receiver Liam Clifford quarterback Drew Aller so we are well underway with game week number three with the 2-0 Nittany Lions who are number seven in national rankings and we welcome in Daniel Gallon we're just a few uh, moments away here I, I guess about 20 minutes or so uh, from Jeremy Warner joining our conversation he's going to break down the fight in Illini give us all the perspective from the opposing view as we get set for this matchup. But let's focus in on Penn State for this moment. And Daniel, uh, as I said, these Tuesday shows are pretty quick coming out of what we heard from James Franklin. Um, But before we get to that and and some of the other stuff from Drew and from Liam this morning, just generally, Mark and I spoke big picture, two-game sample size, 120 minutes of football. We've been waiting anxiously to see this team in action. What are your biggest takeaways from this 2-0 start as we get set to see this team embark on its Big Ten schedule? I think my biggest takeaway is that they've just looked the part. We've talked about this team being a potential contender in the Big Ten East this year, contending for the Big Ten title overall, and being in the, the college football playoff discussion. Um, and I think that what you've seen out of them through the first two weeks, I think does it's what you would expect to see from a team of that caliber. Um, you know, especially just how they took care of Delaware, you know, very thorough, very efficient, very methodical. James Franklin pointed out stuff that he wanted to get cleaned up after that game. But I think from kind of the the naked eye from us observers from where we sit, it was really hard to come away, you know, with a lot of fixes, with a lot of corrections from that. And I think that's what you want to see. You know, and then going back to West Virginia, you know, that's Penn State beating a, you know, a big 12, you know, a power five team by three scores in prime time on the biggest stage with a first time starter at quarterback. I think that that speaks to you know, how prepared this team was coming into the season, where their talent is and where their ceiling is. So it's going to get harder. <laughs> I mean, this game um, at Illinois, 
It's coming up an 11 a.m. kick in Champaign. Um, no more big noon kickoff uh, in there uh, in, in Champaign anymore from Fox. It'll still be the the A team broadcast, but you know maybe a little bit less juice uh, around campus there. But uh, and a team in Illinois under Brett Bielema who can give you some trouble. I think it's a very high floor program. I don't know what their ceiling is in the Big Ten West and in the Big Ten, um, but I think you know that you're going to get something that you know, is pretty solid. We know what Brett Bielema did two years ago when he came to Happy Valley. Um, so I think that we're going to learn a lot this weekend, but I do think we've already learned a ton. And I think that the biggest takeaway is that it's looked like how you would expect a team with these expectations to look so far. And just, you know, by the way, we talked about how does how does an opponent progress after they play Penn State? We're always curious about that. West Virginia week two, they were playing Duquesne, so it's hard to, to really measure a lot of that. But uh, they went for 600 plus offensive yards, uh, 56 points. Uh, you know, obviously, we saw them really suffocated by Penn State's defense in week one. Different kind of matchup, but just something to, to take account of there. Daniel, something that Mark and I discussed at length on our Monday edition of this podcast was the snap counts and the distribution and how light it turned out to be for this defensive group at large, you know, that the leading snap uh, snap totals for, for the defense were in the low twenties. You had Nick Dawkins, a backup offensive lineman playing more snaps than the entire starting defensive lineman combined against Delaware. So ideally uh, you've got those fresh legs and you've got a great opportunity to go attack uh, Illinois from that perspective. But we also got a long look at the offense in that, in that, game two and that meant a lot of offensive line work I'm just curious what you took from from taking a little bit of a peek at Penn State's depth chart I guess uh, at various positions uh, quarterback offensive line even at tight end we saw I think five guys involved there and and of course at wide receiver a, a long look as well Franklin made the comment today about how rare it is or how hard it is to run 91 plays over the course of a game. And that number was pretty staggering because you look at it and Drew Aller, it didn't really feel like he played a ton, but then you look at his snap counts and, and how high that was. Um, And also the fact that this wasn't like a, you know, mid 2010s, big 12 team where they're just really, really going at, at breakneck speed to run a hundred plays. It was just very methodical, very efficient, uh, taking what Delaware gave them, Uh, moving the ball up and down the field. Um, But I I think when you look at the depth chart and you look at the guys that got reps, I mean, it just really comes back to getting that experience along the offensive line. You know, we've already seen that depth tested a little bit with Landon Tangwell retiring before the season. Um, But you look at how Penn State was able to rotate guys in. You got Nick Dawkins, a bunch of series at center um, plus one at guard that's someone who has not really played a lot of football in his Penn State career but is on that too deep and could potentially be the next man up behind a guy in Hunter Norzad who is already dealing with some you know quote-unquote bumps and bruises this year and had to play through some stuff last year so I think getting that experience for someone like Dawkins you know getting Drew Shelton work at both left tackle and right tackle over the course of the of the afternoon. You know, I think that Penn State is really doing its best to, you know, prepare guys who they might need to to count on when you get into the teeth of Big Ten play in October, in November. You know, not everyone is going to be able to make it through the year healthy. We saw that last year on the offensive line. And I think it was just a very proactive performance by the Penn State coaching staff 
by Phil Troutwine, Frank Leonard, James Franklin, Mike Yersich to get all of these guys involved. And you didn't really notice a, a dip in play up front, which I think also speaks to the job that they did. Yeah, no dip in, in productivity as, as we addressed on the podcast on Monday. Uh, 5.3 yards per carry uh, for this uh, rushing attack, and then no sacks allowed. We, we saw three different quarterbacks involved. Jackson Smoke didn't drop back for any passes, but uh, they protected Bo Perbule. They protected Drew Aller. Uh, some pressure moments, but no sacks along the way. Uh, and, and I think when you look at that, uh, it was Javen Williams at left tackle. You had Anthony Donka at left guard, and it wasn't just you know for three or four snaps. Those guys were out there for multiple series, working alongside each other, uh, getting that feel, not for necessarily power five competition. They've had plenty of that at practice, but what it's like to game speed when, when there is no redo situation and, and you've, you've got you know, you've to really match that tempo. And I think it's a big challenge for a lot of players. Something that James Franklin mentioned on the press conference Tuesday when I asked about those young linemen is, is Javen Williams didn't really have a lot of pass pro experience in high school. If you watch that film, he's running down, leading running backs 50 yards downfield it's a beautiful thing pulling as a guard played a lot in the interior uh during his high school career played a lot of tackle as well late in his career but i think that was interesting to note when you got to protect the franchise and, and drew aller or you're trying to take care of whatever quarterbacks back there maybe with javen williams this year we'll be kind of matching up with the second and third team work so maybe it's bo perbula but regardless, you got to have that trust and accountability that he's going to take care of things in that pass protection. So we'll see how that develops. We talked about it. They're in a luxury, a luxurious position right now where there's a lot of teams out there that if you throw them a five-star freshman offensive tackle, it doesn't really matter how seasoned they are. They're going to be out there. They're going to be playing a bunch of football. You've got to work your way down through some guys at left tackle to actually get the Javen Williams where if you're in a game against an Iowa or an Ohio State, there's some moving pieces that they can work in where you're not completely reliant at this stage of his career upon a true freshman left tackle. We saw it last year. It worked out pretty well for them with Drew Shelton, but you've got Drew Shelton now as a sophomore to step up to that kind of role. They still think JB Nelson, although he's now the starting left guard or wasn't quite there last week because of some flu issues, but uh, he's still going to contribute at left tackle as well. So uh, something to keep in mind there. And then I think Dawkins was probably the maybe the biggest story for me coming out of that matchup. When we look at the offensive line depth, not only is he clearly – ready, willing, and able to handle that number two center job right now, which, as you alluded to, feels a little bit more important when you hear about early season bumps and bruises for Hunter Norzad. But we also saw Dawkins work at guard, and we've been saying, well, does Venga Ioane have to be that swing guard you know does he have to be the drew shelton of the interior where he's your next man up on the left side or he's your next man up on the right side because i do think jb nelson with the full fully healthy week is going to be back and reclaim that job at left guard um but maybe he doesn't maybe yoane doesn't have to be uh, the backup there because nick dawkins can, can be a too deep factor not just at center but at guard as well and that gives you a little cushion and having to get your way to, to anthony donka who again true freshman i know he looks the part he, he, you know he's a guy who fits great in pads but it's a lot to ask year one of an interior offensive line to go out in big ten trenches. So come away thinking that they're in good spot from a depth perspective. That, that some veterans stepping up there, like a, like a Nick Dawkins, uh, Venga Yoane kind of feels like a vet, but he's year two. He got a ton of reps as well. Uh, so I think you know there's not a lot to poke holes in. And, and as we said uh, in, in Monday's podcast, you weren't with us, but major separation between what we saw from the offensive front against Villanova a couple of years in the FCS up in Beaver Stadium and then what we saw against Delaware this past Saturday. Let's circle back to, to the uh, initial call and the initial player availability of this game week two. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the second consecutive week, Daniel Gallon, that QB1 led off our conversations with media members uh, here. And, and, and he was the guy front and center uh, on Tuesday morning. 
Yeah, it'll it'll be really nice if that's a pattern that holds. You can kind of we'll set it. your watch to hearing from Drew Aller uh, at at 11 a.m. every Tuesday. I, I would definitely appreciate that. Um, but, you know, I think that Aller is someone where you know, we kind of know what we're going to hear from him um, at this point. You know, he's very polished. Uh, he's kind of mastered the, you know, get asked about one player, you know, make it about the whole position group, um, you know, that kind of uh, way way of speaking. But, you know, I did think it was interesting to talk to him about where he felt like the improvement was from week one to week two. Last week, James Franklin talked about that. Um, you know, it's the an old football uh, coach cliche where this is where you're going to make your biggest improvements. Week one to week two, finally getting out there in game action and, and seeing it. Um, and, and Drew Aller said that he felt like that the pass protection and communication and the assignments um, it was a lot better from week one to week two. I think, like you said, no sacks from no sacks allowed by the offensive line against Delaware. I think that that speaks to that a little bit. Um, and so it's just kind of uh, continuing on that that upward trajectory for him. You know, I think that he's really confident. Um, he you know understands you know what he's doing, what what the game plan is, what the plan is each week. Um, it was it was kind of interesting. He was asked about. Um, a, a video that Penn State put out from the locker room where James Franklin is trying to get him to address the team um, after the West Virginia game. And Aller is you know, pretty bashful about that. Um, and he talked about how he doesn't necessarily feel comfortable being that center of attention, um, you know, that he has kind of had to work on that vocal leadership and being that, I think, kind of stand up in front of everybody leader. I think that he's really asserted himself as a leader in kind of the, the day to day, you know, going through the process, going through practice, being on the field in the game, but in the locker room, you know, that type of environment, I think he's still developing. Um, and James Franklin said that, uh, you know, he was James Franklin was asked about that. And he said that, you know, that's not really what they're they don't need Drew Aller to be that guy right now. You know, with what they have on the team, the guys that they have, you know, they don't they're not always going to need him to be that guy to step up and really set the tone. Um, you know, I think about what we saw pregame on Saturday on two occasions where the entire team was together for the huddle. One time it was Theo Johnson, another time it was Devon Lee's breaking down that group. So you know, there are guys that can can step up and be those voices, be in those roles. It's not exactly what Drew Aller needs to do yet, um, but I think that we've, we're kind of seeing him grow up a little bit and get used to these things, you know, get used to this attention, the spotlight. But I do think that James Franklin is really pleased with how Aller has handled everything so far. And this kind of goes exactly with what James Franklin has told us, I think, since last January or last February. And, and it just being a bit of a different leadership structure for this team last year, it was such a centralized group of guys who could just stare at anyone on the team and, you know, laser beams would go through them because they were that much of a significant leader. You had PJ Mustafer, a two time team captain, Jair Brown, who held that mantle in, in every kind of way you could imagine. And then Sean Clifford, a four time team captain, another four time team captain, and Jonathan Sutherland. So just a different thing where, where, where you're right you, you don't want to force it I mean, that's probably the worst thing you can do as a young quarterback is is forcing that leadership all you got to do is be that accountable guy where where if you just got hit to the turf you know, guys will be helping you up they, they're gonna be looking in your eyes they want to see how you're handling that we've seen him take some hits and step back up and we've seen him deliver some wonderful throws but what mark said on, on monday was uh, interesting i know that we talked a little about it on the podcast He's, he hasn't really aired it out to this point i think it's one ball that, that, that has traveled 
20 yards downfield uh, at, at this point that, 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 you know, so that is something that maybe that changes in a big way against Illinois, but the short to intermediate uh, successes that he has had have been elite. And the one thing that was revisited here on a Tuesday morning is the ball security. I mean, uh, Liam Clifford went back to the fact that uh, all through training camp, you know, he brought it up again. It's just something that was a calling card for Drew Aller. I think we all wanted those flashy reports out, out of fall camp of, about him dialing it up and throwing the ball downfield against these defensive backs. Part of it was the decision-making and where those incomplete passes were landing. Um, and to this point, there's only been one ball that I can recall that you said, whoa, whoa, don't throw that. Uh, and Keandre Lambert-Smith kind of bailed him out of that one. There will be more tests to come, but that's such a great thing to hang your hat on because i mean you take a lot of mistakes right now with drew aller you, you you'd accept those you digest them because of everything else he brings to the field but the fact that you don't need to balance those out at least through these two starts and really through 12 games now daniel he's got no turnovers no fumbles no interceptions uh and and hopefully we're not all jinxing him uh, going on the road to in his you know first big 10 start here which will be a challenge but this appears to be just part of that five-star makeup. And this is one of those aspects that you just don't know. The prospect profile can look fantastic coming out of high school, but then the turnovers can start piling up and the confidence can get impacted. That has not been something we've had to deal with with Drew Aller to this stage of his career. Yeah, I, I think it will be interesting to see how the playbook evolves and develops over these next couple of weeks uh, with regards to the downfield passing game. Um, I wrote about it a little bit on Monday going through some PFF numbers uh, where you talk about Drew Aller's average depth of target, which means how far he's throwing the ball in the air downfield uh, is only six yards, which is you know ranks pretty low. Uh, when you look at all the quarterbacks uh, around the country, I, you know, for comparison, I, I looked up JJ McCarthy because I feel like that's a quarterback who has a reputation of being a super efficient, um, but not necessarily a guy who airs it out downfield. Um, and his average depth of target was, uh, you know, about eight and a half yards. So I, I thought that that was interesting. You know, 70% of Drew Aller's pass attempts this year have been, you know, from, you know, 10 yards or fewer including behind the line of scrimmage. So I think Penn State has really kind of kept things, you know, within themselves, what they need to do. They're, they're not forcing anything yet. And I think that it's a huge positive that Drew Aller is really just taking to that, that we haven't seen him force anything, that he's really picking his spots. Um, and you, know, you go back to last week against West Virginia, you, know, you saw the, you know, the the balls, you know, hit the hands of some of his receivers. There's really only been the one oh no throw. Um, I know that there was one throw early against Delaware. I think his you know only complete incompletion in his first 14 attempts, you know, was just kind of a, a misfire to Katron Allen over the middle where there was a little bit of traffic. Um, but he's just done such a good job of managing things. You know, PFF has his adjusted completion percentage at 90% which is third nationally. So he's just not taking any risks, but it's not in a way where you feel like Penn State is leaving points on the board. And I think that's a testament to what he has around him. Uh, also, probably a little bit with the competition that they've been playing. Um, but I am really, I think a lot of people want to see this opened up a little bit more. They're really looking forward to that. But I think that Penn State has shown that they can move the ball, be efficient without doing that. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what this looks like when you get to the point where you open it up a little bit, you let Aller use that arm, you let those wide receivers show what they can do. I think it'll add a different dimension, but I also know that Mike Yersich is probably sitting on a, a couple things 
as you get a little bit into Big Ten play. Yeah, and I know for a fact that there's some wide receivers out there excited about the next steps for this passing attack. And the one throw that we did so see go beyond 20, well, it ended up in the end zone. 72-yard strike to Keandre Lambert-Smith was, was the first touchdown of the season here for Penn State. And, oh, by the way, down the depth chart at quarterback, you know, you can talk about who he's lined up against on the field, but he's dealing with, the, you know, he's, he's working with the uh, set of cards that he's been dealt by the, by the circumstances. Backup Bo Perbula has been on the field for five possessions, Three of them ended with touchdowns. Twice he rushed for a score. Another he found Omari Evans for a touchdown. And the fifth of those possessions was a long drive, but it ended because the, the Penn State you know, didn't wasn't able to get to 70 against Delaware, and the clock came to a close. So four complete possessions now when you look at it for Bo Perbula. Three have reached the end zone. And now the question becomes, is he a factor for this offense when it's not lopsided on the score? Because we don't anticipate a ton of those games when the Big Ten play really gets stiff and, and you've got these games hanging in the balance third and fourth quarter. There may be some blowout scenarios. This Saturday could be one of them. But we're wondering, is Bo Perbula going to be out there by design in the first half of matchups? That was sort of brought up by James Franklin without everyone, anyone really referencing it on Tuesday. And I don't know if he's leaving those breadcrumbs. He's been doing this really for, since spring ball and saying they're going to find a way to, to work by way and they got to utilize his athleticism. I know he wants it out there for every defensive coordinator to hear, but he keeps bringing it up. And, and again, today he talked about the challenge, but also the benefit of structuring two different offensive packages, two very different quarterbacks who they think very highly of. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what this looks like. And if we, you know, if we actually get to this, you know, you know, I've talked to some other reporters on the beat and there and the, you know, we'll believe it when we see it, you know, he can talk about it all he wants. He can put it out there, but you know, we're going to wait till we see it to really put any real stock in it. Um, but I am curious. I mean, I think one of the things that's a big takeaway when it comes to Bo Prabula from these first two weeks is that, you know, when he gets around the corner, when he's accelerating upfield, you know, he is a, a bigger guy, you know, he moves really well. And he has good acceleration. Um, you know, I think that there is, you know, a skill set there that Penn State can rely on. But of course, the balance with that is, is do you want to take the ball out of Drew Aller's hands? Do you want to take the ball potentially out of Nick Singleton or Katron Allen's hands? And, you know, I think that that's kind of what you have to factor in there when you talk about doing these these multiple quarterback sets or, you know, doing a change of pace quarterback. You know, Drew Aller, five-star recruit, has been essentially perfect through these first two weeks. If he is the quarterback that we all believe him to be or believe that he can be, do you really want to take the ball out of his hands? You know, do you want to have plays in the game where he isn't touching the ball? You know, I think that that's something that you really have to consider and, and really have to balance. But at the same time, I think that Bo Prabula has shown some stuff and has that skill set that you put him out there. He can make defensive coordinators sweat a little bit. He can cause a little bit of confusion. Um, you know, is that going to happen against Illinois? You know, was Aaron Henry watching James Franklin's press conference today and, uh, you know, Saturday night and, and hearing that there's going to be more Bo Prabula at some point? And, you know, Illinois is taking a couple minutes, taking a couple periods to do something about that. I don't know. But I think that it is something that you know, I guess we'll see eventually. But I'm kind of, you know, I, I want to see what it would actually look like. 
again, I'm taken back to the 2018 season, which was Trace McSorley's final season as a starter. And you had this big part of the narrative of Tommy Stevens, who they were obviously trying to keep on the roster for the next year when he was going to compete for the starting job. He only stuck around through the next spring. But James Franklin made it a point as often as he could, sometimes not when asked, that Tommy Stevens is going to have a role in this offense. And it was a little different because Stevens missed the first few games that year with an injury. Sean Clifford stepped up as the primary backup. But I've, I've, I've said this before in the podcast. Tommy Stevens surfaced in the first half of a whiteout game late September against Ohio State, top 10 matchup. And that's when they chose to, to throw that kind of a wrinkle in. So just keep an eye on the next coming weeks. I, I, I'm tempted to say maybe that Iowa game in a couple of weeks is where you could see Bo Perpula pop up in a big way. But maybe they get something on tape. Maybe they want to keep getting number nine uh, on the game film week by week. So something to monitor. Before we dive into it uh, with Jeremy Warner of the Illini Inquirer and learn a lot more about the fighting Illini in a moment, I just want to touch on some freshmen. We saw 15 freshmen play against Delaware. Five of them were repeat performers who, who got involved in some way, shape, or form in week one. Jamil Lyons, a defensive end, safety King Mack, linebacker Tony Rojas, and then cornerback Zion Tracy and Elliott Washington. So they are two for two. And then 10 other guys that were involved, defensive lineman Tyreek Blanding, offensive lineman uh, uh, Anthony Donka, linebacker Kavion Key, safety Dakari Nelson, cornerback Lamont Payne, offensive lineman Chimdi Ono, tight end Andrew Rapelier, linebacker Tamia Robinson, quarterback Jackson Smolok and offensive lineman Javen Williams. That's a lot of names, but in, in cross-referencing my piece here on the, on the red shirt tracker that we have on Tuesdays and then my piece on the snap counts that we had on Mondays and then your weekly staple here early in the week with your game rewind that you dropped on, on, on Monday as well, King Mac is the name that seems to keep popping up. I, I don't know if anyone was more productive than him. A QB hurry, two tackles, flashing throughout his performance, 18 snaps on, on the game. And then you spent some time referencing what he did with Jalen Reed off the field because uh, Reed exited early. We expect him to play this Saturday. He told us that. Uh, but that meant more motive, more work for King Mack. So what did you make in your second look in that rewind piece of the top 24-7 prospect out of South Florida? I thought it gave us a really good idea of where King Mack is on the depth chart and, and what the Penn State defensive coaches think of him. When Jalen Reed went out, uh, I believe it was early in the second quarter, King Mack stepped in to where Jalen Reed was uh, in the defense playing, you know, near the line of scrimmage and kind of a, you know, a dime or, or slot spot. Um, and we saw King Mack rush the quarterback. I mean, his one quarterback hurry, he comes right up the gut, uses the speed we've heard so much about. And then for someone who one of the knocks was or one of the questions was, is he going to be physical enough uh, you know, to play at this level, given his size? He really lowers the boom on, on the Delaware quarterback. Um, so I think that King Mack has really flashed early. We talked to K.J. Winston last week and K.J. Winston said that, you know, they did kind of have to that they had the conversation with King Mack about how, you know, Jalen Reed sat behind J.R. Brown and Jaquan Brisker uh, la you know, two years ago. Last year, K.J. Winston sat and watched Jair Brown, Keaton Ellis, Jalen Reed. Um, and now King Mack is in a similar thing when you talk about um, Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis, Winston, Zaki Wheatley, um, you know, that there are guys that he's going to have to sit behind. And they said that they explain it. He understands it. He knows when he's going to get his chances that he's going to try to take advantage of it. And it's really shown. So I think that King Mack is someone whose role can expand as the season goes on. Um, you know, James Franklin talked about how, 
you know, finding more opportunities for him on special teams to make an impact. You know, in that vein, we saw Zion Tracy make a really nice stop um, inside the 10 yard line on a kickoff on Saturday. Um, But I think going back to King Mack, um, I think that he's someone that there's a lot of excitement about from his teammates, from the coaching staff, and he's really delivered so far in his freshman year. Yeah, he was one of the fastest recruits in the 2023 cycle as well, and he won, helped win four state championships at St. Thomas Aquinas, was an absolute stud uh, on defense and on special teams last year for them in his final state title run. Uh, top 100 prospect, looking the part so far at Penn State. We've heard good things about him. The one aspect we'll find out more about, the ball finds him. I, mean, I think James Franklin brought that up, heard that from, from a few people inside the building as August was progressing on the practice field. And we haven't seen that on the, on the field in game action yet, but we'll see if that magnetism shows up, if the ball's out there. And by the way, KJ Winston, as your fifth safety last year, averaged about 10 defensive snaps per game. I think King Mack is, is going to be firmly in that kind of a role, if not expanding on that. So Daniel, appreciate all the perspective. It's been a busy Tuesday already, and we're just getting through. we got more stuff to come. Uh, a lot of midweek reporting, too, uh, as this game week gets underway. So appreciate it. We're going to talk some Illini now, but uh, we'll talk to you real soon, man. Thanks for having me, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! All right, let's dive into it with one of our 24-7 sports colleagues. We had him on in the summer for a preseason perspective on Illinois, and now here we are. Both these teams have a couple games under their belt. It's approaching kickoff on Saturday, and we bring back Jeremy Werner from uh, Illini Inquirer. Inquirer, easy for me to say. Welcome back, man. Tower, how are you, man? Yeah, it's uh, a couple games in. We're getting to learn a little bit about these teams. Uh, exactly. In these first two games, and for Illinois, it's, it's probably not as positive as Penn State so far. Well, it's obviously the feelings are, are pretty high right now and happy in terms of, of where this team is. Expectations were high. I think the biggest thing from our perspective, and we talked about it a lot in the first segment of this podcast, is just how impressive Drew Aller has looked. It's one thing to talk about the expectations. It's one thing to see a little bit of it as a backup quarterback in year one. But when he takes the keys to the offense and even knowing that they haven't really opened up this playbook through a couple of weeks, what he's done, I guess I'll start there. What's the reaction uh, in Illinois, uh, and I guess particularly this defense on what they've seen from this sophomore quarterback 
Yeah, they're just diving in the players, at least into this. But uh, Aaron Henry basically said he's got a beautiful arm. He's pretty. He's big. Uh, he's a decent athlete as well. Obviously, a huge test for Illinois because he's probably overall the most talented pocket passer that Illinois will play. I know he can move a little bit. But I do think there's one thing Illinois is probably ready to be done with, and that's these dynamic dual threat quarterbacks because it has bothered the heck out of their defense. So Penn State is the toughest team Illinois will play. But if there's a silver lining of Drew Allard, that he might stay in the pocket a little bit more than the guys they play. Jalen Daniels is one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in college football. They played Daquan Finn, really hurt Illinois with his legs. So uh, Drew Allard is going to give the secondary Plenty of uh, fits uh, with, with the way he can throw the ball. The offensive line of Penn State, obviously one of the best in the country, so that's going to give Illinois' defense some fits. But at least maybe they can get after the quarterback. They've kind of had to uh, really contain quarterbacks, try and worry about them getting outside the pocket more than anything, and, and they, they've they really struggled with it. But uh, I think Drew Aller seeing in, in this running back crew, probably watching the Illinois defense the first couple of weeks, uh, they probably expected this to be a big battle. For them, but the first couple of weeks, Illinois' defense has not looked nearly, um, nearly as good as they did last year, and, and that's not a surprise given all that they lost on defense. But uh, it is a surprise that they're not playing more competitively. I mean, I guess we could look at the quarterback position as a bit of a bright spot right now on your beat, too, a new starter. Can you kind of talk us through that situation and what that's looked like through two weeks? Yeah, Luke Altmaier, we knew he was talented, was a four-star prospect, uh, you know, had Alabama offer, a bunch of SEC offers, and, you know, he, he played at Ole Miss, and he, he pushed Jackson Dart for the starting job last year into the season. Uh, he backed up Matt Corral, and he actually played during the Sugar Bowl against Baylor two years ago, and, and it looked pretty good for a backup a uh, true freshman quarterback to come into that environment. I thought he gave him some competitiveness. The only thing we didn't know about him, we knew he could throw the ball. We knew he could run a little bit. We just didn't know how he'd act in a game. Was he poised? Did he have toughness? And boy, has he answered those in spades. He has been the biggest bright spot for Illinois. And, and you know, I don't know, Penn State fans probably don't worry about Illinois all that much, but quarterback has been a huge problem for them ever since Nathan Schilhaus left the program. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it was. And, and Luke Altmaier looks like he could be a potential long-term solution. Tommy DeVito was really good for them last year, but Luke Altmaier is a better athlete. I think he's got a better arm, uh, at least in terms of, you know, being able to drop the ball where he wants to drop the ball downfield. Tommy had some deep accuracy issues. Tommy hit a lot of singles and doubles, but Luke Altmaier showing the ability to hit some home runs this year and, and including with his feet. He has given them a rushing element, a playmaking uh, element with his feet that I, I don't know if a lot of people expected. Barry Loney was excited about it during the spring. But when you lose Chase Brown, you're not going to replace him with one running back and, and maybe not two. But with three guys that can run the ball, I think Luke Altmaier really helps their running game. Um, they just haven't been able to establish their running game because they've gotten behind uh, so early in, in their first two games. But Luke Altmaier is a, is a huge positive. He's a talented quarterback. And so far, I think you can make the case of all of these incoming Big Ten quarterback transfers, him and Hudson Carter are probably the most impressive so far. Kate McNamara is playing game manager, which all, that's all he has to do at Iowa. Uh, but Jeff Sims obviously has, has been an issue. Tanner Mordecai, I think, had some ups and downs. Uh, I think Luke Altmaier and Hudson Carter have been the, the two most positive. And it's funny because that's who Illinois went after, those two guys. And, and both those guys have been pretty good. 
And we'll get a look at McNamara the next week when, when Iowa comes to town for the whiteout game. And look through two games, uh, I'm looking through what Illinois has done or, or failed to do, I guess, in, in some cases. But it went on that last second field goal. And you told us back in the summer, hey, I know it, it, you look at Toledo in the opening slot and you may want to look past it and get to the Big Ten action, but pay attention to that Toledo game. I want to hear from you. How exactly did that go? How dicey was it? Because when you're relying on a field goal with five seconds left to, to win your home opener as a Big Ten team uh, against a group of five opponent comes across as pretty dicey. Oh, it was really dicey. They should have lost that game. Um, I mean, they went and won it. I give them credit. Toledo, they're a MAC team. I get it. Um, I think Penn State would beat them by two or three scores, but um, they're a good MAC team. I, I think that's a team that's got a chance to win 10 plus games this year and win the MAC for a second straight year. Uh, so I knew that was a tough game. And when you have so much newness, uh, I thought that would be a struggle. But the one biggest concern about that game was Illinois lost in the trenches. I mean, Tower, you and I talked about the offseason. Illinois has got three All-Big Ten offensive linemen coming back, including two guys that could get drafted, Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl. They have a great defensive front coming back. Johnny Newton was phenomenal against Kansas. Keith Randolph was really good against Toledo. Uh, but their outside linebackers really struggled. Hey, Backus was a freshman All-American. Seth Coleman was an All-Big Ten guy. Though that front has really struggled. Their linebackers have really struggled, and they just really got beat in the trenches by Toledo. They got outrushed. Uh, by them. So that was a, a big concern. Uh, I thought they were better uh, on the offensive line, at least running the ball against Kansas. But Toledo, you know, Illinois had so many self-inflicted wounds, so many penalties. That has not been the case really during the Brett Bielma era. A lot of them after the play, unsportsmanlike penalties. Uh, against Toledo, they had three third downs that they had, that they were about to get off the field, but Illinois had a penalty on third down, and all those led to 17 points and 110 extra yards. So if they, if they just took those away, it would have been a completely different game, but they did those. And then at Kansas, they had some crucial penalties, but Kansas was more schematic. Uh, Kansas was more concerning from a athlete perspective, at linebacker, uh, and in the secondary, because Kansas just spread them out and really just out-schemed them and out-executed them. So that's where it was a concern against them. I thought they were better in the trenches holding up. They were more physical. But uh, that's why this week, you know, Aaron Henry came out, and usually we just go and ask the coordinators questions. Aaron Henry came out with an opening statement to say, this is all on me. Like, he has some big shoes to fill. And Ryan Walters, who's now the Purdue head coach, Ryan Walters was a phenomenal play caller. Brett Bielma promotes Aaron Henry in part to keep him from going to Ryan Walters, um, but he had no play calling experience before. And I think with so many new pieces in the secondary um, and figuring out what he wants to be defensively, this has been a huge week for the Illinois staff to self-evaluate their defensive scheme and figure out what is the best way to compete with, with a new group. Uh, so Ryan Wal uh, Aaron Henry's kind of learning on the job here, and this is where Brett Bielma really has to come into play. The, the hope for Illinois is they did this two years ago. Ryan Walters' defense struggled its first three games. They completely changed a lot of things, a whole wholesale changes to their personnel, how they played, and then they became one of the most dominant defenses uh, in the country for the last two years. Uh, so the staff um, needs to put their guys in better positions to win, and I think that's become loud and clear the first two games. I mean, this was a game that was on Friday night against Kansas, so there was there was a little more attention on it than than a normal matchup. That's you know in the myriad of matchups on a Saturday, so a lot of eyes were on it. And, and Illinois, three and a half point dog, and then they fall behind twenty one nothing in that second quarter. It's twenty eight to seven at halftime. It's thirty four to seven late in the third quarter. A couple of touchdowns from Altmaier on the mound. 
make it 34 to 23 at the end of this game. But when you look at uh, early in this matchup on Saturday, when, when you're in your seat in the press box, it's 11.05 or whatever, and you see Illinois hit the field against Penn State, what are the carryover concerns that you want to see this team be able to dispel relatively early in the matchup? Otherwise, it could sink them for a second straight week. Brett Bielma's motto is tough, smart, dependable. That's what he wants us to be. I mean, Illinois has to be a developmental program, right? They're not going to recruit like Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. They have to do what Iowa has done, what Wisconsin has done. They want to be a physical football team. That has not shown in the in the first two games for the most part. They need to be able to run the ball, get short yarded situations, and set themselves up for some play action, for some deep shots, because uh, I think Altmaier can do it. They've just had to throw the ball because they've been behind by so much here recently. So I, I got to see them establish their run game, which is going to be very difficult against maybe the best defensive front they're going to see all year. But we saw them do it two years ago. I know Penn State's improved a lot uh, in the trenches and, and stud linebackers there, but it, they need to show an identity on both sides of the ball. And, and for the offense, that's being the more physical unit in the trenches. And then Luke Altmaier can make some plays. So if you if you grind this game down a little bit, I think that's what Illinois wants to do, but they just have not been able to prolong drives and put together long drives. They've struggled on some short yarded situations. Uh, Altmaier has really been phenomenal in, in kind of, you know, making something out of nothing at times. But on defense, Tyler, like I think, you know, you were able to when you had Devin Witherspoon and you had Quan Martin and Sidney Brown, all top 70 picks in the draft, right? All guys who are playing for their NFL teams. If, you can't run as much man to man, right? Without those guys, because you you just don't have the talent. You don't have the dudes to maybe cover. But what it made Illinois so good was beyond having those guys was they were so aggressive, just relentlessly aggressive. Uh, I watched five years of Lovey Smith defense just sit back, let quarterbacks know where they're going to go before the snap, and try to play zone and get turnovers. And it would just it's it's you can't give eighteen to twenty two year old quarterbacks the pre snap read. You got to confuse them. You got to put them under duress. And even if they if they beat you, I'm fine with that. If Drew Auer beats you with accurate passes and, and good downfield throws, that's fine. But Illinois has to find a way to get pressure on him. They have not been able to get pressure on quarterbacks. Part of that is they're afraid of quarterbacks running. So I've been interested. I'm interested to see how they go against Auer. But I think they got to get back to that aggressive mentality. Put your guys in man-to-man -man coverage. They always have a deep free safety about 20 yards down the field. Hopefully he can clean up if you have any mistakes. But I think they just got to increase the pressure, rush five guys, rush six guys at times, uh, and just get after the quarterbacks. Because right now those guys are just dicing Illinois up. Well, Fox's big noon kickoff has decided to chase Coach Prime elsewhere. He, they will not be setting up shop in Champaign before this one. Uh, but I'd imagine there's still considerable buzz uh, about this Big Ten opener and who they're playing and a top 10 opponent, what it would mean if they're able to to threaten and pull off an upset in this kind of scenario. What are the vibes right now? Uh, coming off of a loss like that that they suffered against Kansas is going to put a bit of a, a dent into that. But how, did, how does it kind of seem like this team, this Illinois Fighting Illini community is responding to this challenge of Penn State coming to town? Yeah, they're bummed after what they saw against Kansas because they, they saw an uncompetitive team. And that, that reminded them of the Lovey Smith, the Tim Beckman era, right? Like it's, it's happened too often where Illinois just doesn't compete in games. Now they, they showed some fight in the second half and Luke Altmaier gives them a little bit of hope, but this was a season that there was a lot of optimism. They sold 10,000 more season tickets so far this season. I would expect the crowd to be around 50,000, uh, something like that, which is not a capacity crowd by about 10,000. But if they would have beat Kansas, I think this could have been a sellout. So I, I do think you you lost some fans, a drive-out crowd. 
from coming here and, and potentially, you know, ranked Illinois could have been ranked if they beat Kansas. Uh, and now, you know, you're probably staring down one and two, given how good Penn state is, but uh, this is an opportunity for Illinois. I, I predicted them to start one and two. I thought it would be a struggle to start, um, but the way they played against Kansas was, was dispiriting. Uh, but it is an opportunity for Illinois, even if it's just a competitive game, to show that, hey, this is a tough schedule. Illinois, I think through the first three weeks, probably going to have one of the toughest schedules in the Big Ten. Um, right now, they're the fourth toughest. And I can think after playing Penn State, it might be the toughest or the second toughest. But the Big Ten West is is next. And you have Florida Atlantic and a bunch of winnable games in the Big Ten West. Their goals will still be there. So I think if, if Illinois just makes Penn State sweat into the fourth quarter, that's an encouraging sign. But Illinois did beat Penn State a couple years ago. Brett Bielma always seems to rally the troops. I do believe this is a good coaching staff. Um, and that extra day of preparation and of self-evaluation, I think, could be really, really important. And maybe an extra day of rest for Illinois because Kansas had uh, 24 hours of extra rest. But still, it was kind of a – uh, an unacceptable performance uh, for Illinois. So they should be hungry knowing they're the underdogs. This team always seems to play better when they're the underdogs, but uh, Penn state's so talented. They just got more depth, more talent. Um, so Illinois has to play really, really well. And Penn state has to make some big mistakes. Well, let's get into it. I mean, how do you see this one playing out at the end of the day? Uh, when we get through Saturday's action, what is your prediction for a score? And uh, I guess what's your reasoning behind that? Yeah, I think Illinois will come out more prepared. I think they'll be more physical. They just have to be more disciplined. Um, I, I did like what I saw in the run game early on. I think it's important for them to get off to a good start and have some confidence. Uh, I think the offense for, for Penn State is, is going to be a load where they scored 30-plus points uh, in nine straight games. And I, I'm really concerned about the running backs of Penn State because Illinois' linebackers have looked poor uh, early on in this season. I think that's a, a tough matchup for them. But I do think the the Illinois front, uh, defensive front, with more of a pocket passer can be better. Johnny Newton looked like the number one defensive tackle in the 2024 draft against Kansas. He had uh, two sacks, probably could have had four if it wasn't Jalen Daniels he was chasing. Um, so he is a, a wrecking one-man wrecking crew at times. Keith Randolph's a future pro. And, and they just need to get more out of Gabe Ackes and Seth Coleman on, on the edges. But um, I'm interested to see Penn State. You know, I know they have talent at wide receiver. Who emerges there? But the Illinois secondary is a little susceptible. Um, they're, they're smaller group, but they do have a couple guys, Xavier Scott and Miles Scott, who've been encouraging uh, in the back end. For offense, they have to be able to to put together some long drives. They have to be able to establish the run game. And again, I know how difficult that is uh, against Penn State, but. If you're going to be a Big Ten West contender, you have to be able to run against good defenses. Because one thing Big Ten West has is, is good defense. Whether Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin usually does. Um, they have to establish the run game and just set themselves up uh, in easier third downs um, and, and move the ball down the field. So I think Luke Allmeyer can make some plays uh, and, and give Penn State some fits there. But uh, it's just I, I think Penn State's too talented. So I, I sent you my prediction. 31-16, I think that's Penn State covering now because they're 14 and a half. But, um, you know, if Illinois took a – it was a one-possession game going into the fourth quarter, I think that'd be encouraging, even though I know Brett Bielma is not about moral victories. Just give yourself a chance going into the fourth quarter. They did not do that against Kansas. 
Well, we, we know a couple of years ago, uh, should not take anything for granted on this and uh, from Penn State's perspective. So we'll have now come kickoff. I'll be on your podcast later this week. So I look forward to chatting about this one a little bit more. And, and over at lines247.com in our Thursday Know the Foe feature, a lot more from Jeremy on what to expect from Illinois, what's worked for them, what's been good, bad, and ugly through a couple of games here. So appreciate all the all the perspective, all the inside intel uh, from your end, Jeremy. Appreciate you, Tyler. I do think uh, Manny Diaz would not be surprised by a barge formation, as surprised as uh, Penn State was two years ago. <laughs> That's right. Take care. Thanks. Good stuff from Jeremy, and uh, we'll talk about this matchup a little bit more in our third episode of this week here on the podcast. Thursday, we'll give you our final score predictions, our players to watch, and we'll talk about what we saw and heard at the Penn State practice facility on Wednesday night. Uh, we get our uh, weekly look at, into some Penn State practice portion. We also have James Franklin off the field after practice and a few different Penn State veteran players. We'll have an assistant coach to speak with later in the week. All that coverage and more over at lines247.com, we also have a lot of recruiting uh, brewing, a lot of recruiting content brewing today. And I think that will continue about that whiteout matchup. A lot of confirmation starting to come of the blue chip variety about big time prospects from within the region and beyond making this trip to Beaver Stadium for the September 23rd showdown between the Nittany Lions and the Iowa Hawkeyes. So uh, follow that along as that list expands. Tyler Calvaruso, Brian Doan, Steve Wolfong, Alan True. All of them have weighed in in some way uh, with new confirmations in recent days. So we talk to you soon here on the podcast. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.